Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being in your house today, and we thank you for your beautiful family, our church family. We just ask you to bless us together and uh, that our time today together would be fruitful in your word, that you would teach us, that your word would accomplish its work in us. And for all that you do, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been studying the book of Thessalonians, and today we're going to take a look at chapter 3. Just to review quickly... Paul had a vision, and you can find all about this in Acts chapter 16 and chapter 17. It kind of tells the story behind Thessalonians. But after Paul had this vision of seeing a Macedonian man urging him to come over to Macedonia to help us, he embarked on a missionary journey to that region with Silas and Timothy, concluding that God had called them to preach the gospel there in Acts chapter 16, verse 10. But first they traveled to Philippi, and that adventure is recorded in Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 40, before he went to Thessalonica. And if you'll remember, in Philippi, there was a girl who practiced divination, and she had some, she was a slave girl, and her owners used her to tell fortunes, and they made a lot of money off of her. And she followed Paul and Timothy and Silas around, and she said, These are the men of God. They proclaim to you the gospel of of salvation. And Paul kind of got annoyed with her, and he cast the demon out of her and got in trouble. So they took them and beat them and put them in jail. And you know the story, Paul and Silas in jail. They were in jail after being scourged and beaten. were so thankful that they had been beaten for Christ's sake. They were singing and worshiping God. And you know the story. The prison flew open and the prison guard got saved. So anyway, from Philippi, Paul eventually made his way to Thessalonica. It was the capital of a Macedonian um, uh, of Macedonia, which was a Roman province in northern Greece. It had a population of over 100,000 people. The city was a powerful commercial center uh, in the Greco-Roman world. It was strategically located. Could we see the next slide, please? It was, as you can see there on the map, it was in a natural harbor, but it was also on a uh, east-west highway called the uh, Via Ignatia, which was a major Roman highway. The city, therefore, attracted a diverse array of people. There was all kinds of philosophies, and they took pride in debating different philosophies there. So there was all these different religions, just a melting pot, but there was also a sizable number of monotheistic Jews there. Then in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, Luke recounts Paul's uh, visit to the city. He had entered into the local synagogue there on three consecutive Sabbaths. He, He got this preach, and he reasoned with them from the scriptures, the word tells us, and he proclaimed Jesus as the Christ. But some of the uh, devout Greeks were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, and a lot of the women in that area were converted But nevertheless, there was a band of jealous Jews who formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, who was the host for Paul and Silas and Timothy. They couldn't find Paul and Silas and Timothy, so they took Jason and drug him out before the authorities, and they charged him with sedition. They said that these men have turned the world upside down, have come here also, and they are... uh, Acting against the decrees of Caesar, they're saying that there's this other king named Jesus. So narrowly escaping by night, Paul and his associates journeyed to Berea, 
where Luke notes the Jews were more favorable and uh, had better character. But on, on, uh, but however, learning that uh, Paul was in Berea, some of the Thessalonican Jews there became agitated and stirred up the crowds, and Paul again escaped to Athens. Paul's next destination was Corinth. It was 300 miles from Thessalonica to Corinth, and he wrote the book of Thessalonians about A.D. 50 to 51. It's probably the second oldest book of Paul's writing, uh, the first one being Galatians. So we spent the first couple of chapters in Thessalonians talking about Paul defending his, uh, establishing his integrity and defending the fact that he was a missionary from God and he defended his his work with Paul and Silas and then he began to defend his absence from them in this part of the scripture we're going to study today. If we can look at the next slide, let's read it. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and comfort you concerning your faith. That, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we were appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass, and ye know. Remember in the previous chapters, Paul had talked to, to, the, to the people in chapter 1 and 2 and told them how much he longed to see them and that, that he missed them and he was rejoicing to get the good report from Timothy that they were carrying on. And, and Paul says, when I couldn't no longer stand it, I, I was alone at Athens, but I sent Timothy to find out. He's defending why his, he has been absent from them. And he sent Notice that he calls Timothy a minister of God and a fellow laborer, not just my sidekick or my cohort, but a minister of God. And then he says he sent him to comfort them and to establish them. And the reason that was was because Paul only had three Sabbaths to talk to this this young church, just three short weeks to try to ground them in everything. Just think of all the things that you've learned over your Christian life and and how long it took you to learn it. And Paul only had three weeks with these folks. And he knew also that there was persecution. And he also knew that there were problems in the church. Remember, there were several different problems. There were some people, uh, they had all things common, but there were some guys who were abusing the system. They refused to work and were mooching off of the church. There were some people who were misinformed about doctrine. There were some people who thought that because their loved ones had passed away and Jesus hadn't returned, that they weren't going to make it to heaven. And so there were all these these problems, and and so Paul sends Timothy to establish them and comfort them uh, concerning some of these worries that they had as a church. Notice in verse 3, he says, I sent him so that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for you know that we were appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that you would suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass. So Paul is basically saying, some interpretations say, this is your calling. You're called to suffer for Christ. This this is a message that probably won't make it in in a book by Joel Osteen. it's a message that you won't hear in a lot of places. Next slide, please. 
But is this the only scripture that says we're called to suffering? You know, we've, had, we've got Christians that have written books, and you know, I don't want to pick on the book Purpose Driven Life, but that was about finding your purpose, finding your calling. But Paul says this is your calling. As a Christian, you're called to suffer. Let's look at this verse here in, in 1 Peter uh, 3.11. He says, For unto, for hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Next slide, please. For unto you it is given on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Philippians 1.29. Next slide. I can't read that from here, but somebody else have to read that for me. For unto you, it, I'll, I'll just read you a few more that I have, and you can do the next slide too. Uh, for unto you, it is given on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer his sake in Philippians. But Jesus said, in the world you shall have tri- tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world in John 16.33. Also... In Acts chapter 14, verses 22 and 23, says, Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in the synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake. You will be hated for all my name's sake. And then in Romans chapter 8, Paul says this, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If children, then heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. And then in John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 13, he says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Why is this our calling? Why are we called to suffer? In his book, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places, Eugene Peterson wrote, 1,800 years or so of Hebrew capped with a full exposition in Jesus Christ tell us that God's revelation of himself is rejected far more than it is accepted, is dismissed by far more people than embrace it, and has been either attacked or ignored by every major culture or civilization in which it has given its witness. Magnificent Egypt, fierce Assyria, beautiful Babylon, artistic Greece, political Rome, enlightenment France, Nazi Germany, Renaissance Italy, Marxist Russia, Maos China, and pursuit of happiness America. The number one reason that we will be persecuted is because along with salvation comes a submission to God. And since the fall, we have resisted submission to God or to any power outside of self. Remember Pastor Bill's message last week about the garden. We could be dependent on God or we could be dependent on self. One of the reasons there's persecution and suffering in this world It's not because God is some tyrant on the throne doling out suffering. It's because we did it. We brought it onto the world. It is a fallen planet because of the choice Adam and Eve made in the garden. They brought this corruption. They brought suffering. They brought pain. They brought storms, catastrophes. All these things are a result of sin in the world. 
Our credo is that of William, of the poet William Ernest Henley, who said, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And that's the attitude of most of the world. You see, true Christian living angers unbelievers. It confronts them with their accountability to a God that they don't want to believe in. And the result is usually they kill the messenger. All the way back in the garden, remember Cain and Abel? One had a what? A great offering to God. Did it encourage the brother to do the same? No, it made him angry and he killed him, didn't he? And so that that is part of the reason that there's this suffering. So why, we've talked about why there's suffering, but also there's another purpose that God in his omnipotence can use suffering. John Ortberg says, God isn't at work in the circumstances I want. God is at work in the bad circumstances to produce the me he wants. Suffering builds character. Suffering changes our focus. C.S. Lewis spoke of it this way. He said, God has made, the God who has made us knows what we are and that our happiness lies in him. Yet we will not seek it in him as long as he leaves us any other resort where it can be plausibly be looked for. While what we call our own life remains agreeable, we will not surrender it to him. What then can God do in our interest but make our own life less agreeable to us and take away the plausible sources of false happiness? Paul said in Romans chapter 5 verse 3 through 5, we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, the suffering changes our character. It changes our focus in our life. It changes the direction of our life. It, it, it gets our mind off of all of those things that distract and focuses on the real thing that matter, eternity, the real things and the real purpose we were created. Not only does suffering promote character, it also promotes courage. In Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, we, we have the story of Peter and John who were demanded to stop preaching the gospel of Christ. But this was their reply. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. But we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. The story, uh, there's a story that I know you guys have all seen of the 20 Coptic Christians who were marched down to the beach and we saw them beheaded on TV. Well, in his book, Is This the End, uh, Dr. David Jeremiah told a story about a guy who was actually there was 21 of those guys. And, and there was a guy named Matthew, I'll probably butcher this name, Ayagra. He was from Chad. And he had traveled, traveled to Libya looking for work. And for some reason unknown to anybody, he was scooped up with the Coptic Christians. And as they marched those guys in the orange jumpsuits, which was a, a taunt or, or a get back at us because we keep the ISIS terrorists in, 
in Guantanamo in orange jumpsuits. They dressed them in orange jumpsuits, took them to the, to the, to the beach. And these guys, the Coptic Christians, one by one, they asked them to deny Christ. And they refused, and they cut their throats one at a time. When they came to Matthew, this gentleman from Chad who'd just gone there to work, he was not a Christian. He was not a believer. But as he watched those 20 other guys refuse to deny Christ, when they came to him, he said, their God is my God. And like the thief on the cross, I believe he's in heaven. I believe he's in, in, in paradise. So suffering produces courage. It produces character, but it also proves godliness. Paul said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution in 2 Timothy 3.12. Dr. Lord Martin Jones wrote, if you're suffering as a Christian and because you're a Christian, it is one of the surest proofs that you can ever have of the fact that you are a child of God. Remember Paul and Silas? I talked to Brother John this week, or one day last week maybe, when he came to get, bring his recycling, and we discussed that. Here these guys had just had the snot beat out of them. Their backs were open and bleeding. They're cast into prison, not doing anything wrong. And what do they do? They're singing and rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. This is the reason, because it was proof to them that they were God's kids, that they were the children of the Most High God. You know, in the past, there's been lots of persecution. And from 1580 to 1685, the Catholic Church martyred over 1.7 million Christians accused of heresy. In France, uh, the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre killed an estimated 3,000 French Protestants. In 1789, the French Revolution outlawed Christianity. The Ottoman Empire in 1915 murdered 2.7 million Christians. And estimates from the total reign of the Ottoman Empire run as high as 50 million people they killed. Then there's Russia. Then there's China. Then there's all these other countries around the world. And in our time, there has been... A persecution of Christians in Africa by Muslims that the news hasn't told you about, but there have been millions martyred for their faith in Christ. But what about here in America? We haven't experienced that much, have we? We haven't suffered much persecution. It's just beginning. If you don't bake the cake for the right couple, if you don't video the right wedding, same-sex wedding, you can. the persecution is starting John MacArthur, the Calvary Chapel churches in the West Coast are suffering persecution over the COVID thing. They want to shut the churches down. So don't be alarmed if suffering comes our way. Monthly, according to Dr. David Jeremiah, 322 Christians are killed for their faith in the world today. 214 church buildings and properties are destroyed. There are 772 acts of violence committed against individual Christians per month. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, Paul says, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and her labor might be in vain. Next slide, please. Paul here says, the reason I sent Timothy 
was because I wanted to make sure the tempter with the suffering came didn't cause you to lose your faith. Notice that who was doing the persecution? It was the Jews, remember? But Paul says it was a tempter. And we know who the tempter is, don't we? The tempter is Satan. Again, this ties in with the scripture that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers. It's the powers of darkness behind those Jewish men that Paul was concerned about. He was worried that the tempter might tempt him. So there is the opportunity with suffering for Satan to cause you to fall. Part of the reason I feel like that this message came up is because the day and the age we're living in. And there may be a time when we are persecuted for our faith here. We've been very fortunate. Paul was encouraged by Timothy. He says, but now Timothy has come to us from you and brought us the good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy which we receive for your sake before our God, night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. You see this desire that Paul has for this young church. That's a godly desire. That's not a man thing. That's something God put in his heart. And I would ask you this morning, you know, so many times our prayers, we spend our times praying about our family, our children, and our little circle. Do we pray for a lost and dying world? Have we lost that desire to see them saved? Do we pray for the persecuted church? Do we pray for those that are suffering and hiding? I heard on Christian radio this week that only one in ten Christians around the world actually has a Bible. That's not here, of course. We've probably got five, and they've probably got an inch of dust on them. But overseas, in Africa, China, those places, India. So Paul here says that he's thankful to God because of this report Timothy has brought to him. And notice that he says it brings him joy. And not only does it bring him joy, it brings him life. And the last verse, number 11, says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you to increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. For that we may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with his saints. You see, Paul is praying for them to have the same desire, the same zeal that he has for them. He's saying, I want you to love them like I love you. Do you have that zeal? Do you have that zeal for others? Even the ones who are persecuting them. Paul says, you know, he's praying that you would be established in love. So see, the rule is love. The rule is still love. We, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, 314, John said, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. What did Jesus say? Love one another as I have loved you. So what is our calling from according to this chapter? We're called to suffer, to suffer for Christ's sake. 
it can do one of two things. It can cause us to lose faith, or it can strengthen us. It can make us courageous. It can build character, make us more like Christ. It can cause us to see outside of our own little bubble and see the purpose that God has for you to be here, the purpose God is calling you to. You know, Jesus is returning, and I believe that is closer than ever before. And that our world is in a chaotic mess. And I want you to be aware that if suffering comes, that you won't be taken off guard, that you'll understand this is our calling. But you know what? Our reward far, far outweighs it. How did Paul say it? I believe that this present suffering is nothing to be compared to the glory that we will receive when he comes to redeem us from this earth. So this morning, the rule is love. The law is love. Let's self-examine ourselves today and say, what would I do if they come to persecute us? If they come to, to lock us up for being here in church this morning? Don't think it couldn't happen. I didn't think all the things that's been going on this year could happen, did you? I didn't think we would be told to wear masks and distance and churches would be closed and bars and strip clubs could be open. I don't want to sound political, but I'm just telling you, that's the fact of life we're living today. And it can change in a heartbeat. I believe our Lord is coming back. And I want you to be ready. I want you to be filled with love. I want you to not be surprised when suffering comes. And I want you to hear his voice when he comes. The Bible says that he will descend with a tr the sound of a trumpet. And we will all be called to meet him. The dead will rise first. And we're going to get into that in the later parts of this chapter. But let's stand this morning as I close out this service. Our calling is suffering. Not a popular message. Maybe that's why Calvary Chapel preaches straight through the Bible instead of topical because I don't know many preachers that would want to talk about this. But it's a fact of, it's one of the hard facts of the Bible that we're called to suffer. But you know, the good news is Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world and the blessing that waits for us. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word this morning. We're not called to be on vacation. And we're not called for a life of just simple pleasure. But we're called to be soldiers of the cross. And we thank you this morning for reminding us of that fact. We thank you, Father, that you have been so good to us here in America. You have so blessed and protected us. But we know that evil is on the march. And we know our hedge could be removed. And Father, we just pray for the, the suffering church around the world, around the globe, that you would bless them and comfort them and that you would be close to them, Father. And that you would show us the things that we can do to minister to them. Father, be with us this day. Get glory to your name. And we thank you for our time together in Jesus' name.